Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and Thursday night football is on our doorstep as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 421. At the top of today's show, we've got three and out where I chat with my friend Chris McPherson to discuss three pivotal topics surrounding the Eagles going into this matchup against the Houston Texans. What three things are at the top of C-Mac's mind? He's going to fill us in right at the top of the show. After that, we've got Chalk Talk where Ben Fennell and I hone in on this matchup's X's and O's with our matchups to watch important metrics, and some of the themes that are prevalent in our episode of Eagles Game Plan this week to get you ready for this primetime matchup against Houston. Then, to close out the show in faux focus, I chat with a guy I've got a ton of respect for. He's someone who does a lot of the same things I do and more down with the Houston Texans. His name is John Harris. John is awesome. He knows this team and this game so, so well. I always learn something when listening to John, uh, and he is going to join us to give us the Texans' point of view heading into this game. Now, before we get there, a couple things I want to make sure we hit on number one head on over to apple Podcasts or stitcher or spotify wherever you listen and if you can leave us a rating leave us a comment leave us a question we'll answer questions here on a weekly basis on the podcast and if you ever listen to this show and you're like you know what this really helped me get ready for game day or i really would not never have thought about that about this eagles win if you, want to, if you want to say thank you, the best way is to go on and leave us a comment because it helps boost us up the rankings, makes this show more visible for others that are looking for Eagles podcasts. And look, help me help you. If you've got a question, leave it there and we'll answer it here in an upcoming episode. Really appreciate everybody that has done that in recent weeks. That said, uh, let's get this episode rolling. Excited now to catch up with C-Mac. It's time to go three and out. How about this for a start? They've got him again! What a defensive stop! Slave second pick of the game! Oh, I'm gonna have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three and out. All right, well, joining us here once again for 3 and Out, my friend Chris McPherson, to uh, take us through the three hot topics on the front of his mind, which could be scary, uh, but take us through. Uh, item number one here, C-Mac. We're past spooky season, Fran. We can get over it. It's okay. Uh, Mariah Carey may have been blasting in our house uh, first thing this morning. Ooh, so baby, uh, yes. Uh, it oh, might be that time of year. That's a different conversation right, right there. So history is at stake, Fran. The Eagles can go 8-0 for the first time in franchise history with a win on Thursday night. Now, do we need to preface this? We are doing this a little bit before the trade deadline, so if there's some earth-shattering move, I'm sure there'll be an emergency segment of the Eagle Island Sky Much podcast. like what we did last week. We recorded everything, and then <laughs> an hour and a half later, the Robert Quinn trade happened. So uh, if that happens, then yeah, well, people would have already heard the analysis because I would have put it at the front of the show. Bobby Q, to say the least. So uh, first thing, I'm going to go a little big picture here. The topic is the development of Jalen Hurts. And I'm going to open this with saying how the coaching staff flat out aced the bye week. Just crushed it. From Coach Sirianni's messaging and attention to detail to the execution on Sunday. Overall, from top to bottom, an absolute masterclass. Sunday's game, I think, was also a big picture discussion for the Philadelphia Eagles. For the past year, Fran, and this is dating back to this is right around the time when the offense made the shift to go a little more run heavy, you know, lean into the offensive line. The dominance with with the rushing attack became the number one running game in the league. They've shown that they can run the ball with a plum in a variety of ways. And if you look at the schedule, the Eagles can win a large majority of the games with that formula. But for this team and where they're at right now, being seven and zero, I feel like to take the next step. You can't just rely on being a one-dimensional offense. And we're, we're talking past December. We're talking about January. We're talking about the potential playoff games, a deep playoff run. There's got to be a little more expansive. you got to have multiple ways to be able to win. Jalen Hurts, big question going to this season would be, would he take the next step as a passer? And throughout the course of the season, we've seen some outstanding examples of where he has taken huge strides forward. I love going back... We had a little off, off-air off discussion yesterday where best game of the season, some people might have said Sunday's win over the Steelers. I mean, I thought the Vikings' yeah. performance, the way he just picked apart the zone defense was phenomenal. 
given the stage, given the setting and everything. You go the week later against the, the Washington Commanders and the way he relied on his playmakers, I thought was also an outstanding performance. Look at those two teams. I mean, the, the Minnesota Vikings have not lost since. The Minnesota Vikings have only one loss. The Commanders, they're maintaining their chance at staying in the playoff hunt. They're they're four and four. They've won three straight. So they're not a team that's gonna need you know, the Eagles can just look past even though they blew them out earlier this season. Sunday for me, the game plan going into this was designed, I feel like, how can they how can Jalen Hurts beat the Blitz? And it has hampered the Eagles in recent weeks. Now, according to PFF, Hertz was still blitzed a league high on 22 dropbacks, 21 dropbacks, I'm sorry, against the Steelers. It was interesting because one of the topics on last week's three and out was how would the brain trust of Mike Tomlin, Terrell Austin, Brian Flores, very, very outstanding defensive coaches, how would they come after Jalen Hurts? Well, they brought the blitz. And while it was far from a flawless performance, Hurts made some big-time throws. He allowed his playmakers to do their job. The infrastructure of this offense, Fran, is just outstanding. You go to the offensive line, the coaching, playmakers. Jalen Hurts is added to that by showing that he can win as usually we would say a, a dual threat. I love the, the phrase he coined, triple threat, adding in the mind to his arm and his legs. He does not turn the ball over, which is such an underappreciated part of his game. I feel like Hurts is adding a dimension to his offense that so few quarterbacks around the league can offer. I think the coaches tested Hurts and number one pass with flying colors, and it's a formula that bodes well for the rest of this season. Yeah, I think the big thing, you know, when you look at, at Jalen's day on Sunday, uh, there were a number of throws that obviously stood out. I mean, the, the the two, the second and third touchdowns that he threw to A.J. Brown were just perfect throws down the right sideline, over the shoulder, where only A.J. could get it uh, as good as you could make it. I mean, literally as good of a throw as you could make in that situation. And as you mentioned, it wasn't perfect. Um, when you look at uh, all the touchdowns that Jalen threw uh, in this game, for the most part, they came after plays that uh, were either no gain or losses and so you kind of see like okay well uh you know that ability to fight through adversity shows up in a big way and in a small way uh often with Jalen Hurts he is just a steady Eddie from that standpoint I think the big thing schematically that stood out uh particularly against the blitz what was the number one answer for the Eagles against the blitz when they knew that they were going to be blitzed on a play for the most part it was the screen. It was wide receiver screen, wide receiver screen. We saw so many against Arizona. We saw them against Dallas. You know, when when teams felt or when the Eagles felt like teams were getting ready to blitz them, the answer typically had been the wide receiver screen. And so uh, often, because those blitz numbers have spiked, we've seen that that average depth of target, the the, the inability to create those explosive plays downfield, has dropped a little bit no in question. those recent weeks. But in this game, the Eagles knew, hey, you know what, Pittsburgh is probably going to blitz us. But we're not. It's not going to be wide receiver screens. We saw the fake wide receiver screen. That was a, those are great. Uh, a great play call. Uh, the Zach Pascal touchdown. Yep. Uh, and certainly you would factor in the uh, the third AJ Brown touchdown where they had the the fake bubble screen out to the right side. He throws the pump fake there. The double move with AJ Brown over the top. So you have those two fake screens that went for touchdowns. But also uh, just desi- designed deep balls to say like, hey, you know what? We're gonna go vertical. We're not afraid to hold on to the ball just another tick and let these guys get open down. The the field let our playmakers go make plays and so again that might be something where if you're an opposing defense if you're the Houston Texans they're not a blitz heavy heavy team anyway but if you're the Washington Commanders and Jack Del Rio if you're any of these teams coming up on the schedule and your thought is hey we want to blitz Jalen Hurts we want to blitz this Eagles offense well now it's not just oh yeah the ball's going to come out fast it's you have to be what you better have the horses to be able to keep up in the secondary with these Eagles receivers and the Eagles have the talent to maximize it right that's the thing it's if you're just going to throw bubble screens and things of that nature are you taking the the are you maximizing the potential that you have within the playmakers on offense no so i think again this was something to see could the Eagles execute this could Jalen Hurts get the job done here and he was outstanding. A 140 quarterback rating, just absolutely sensational, throwing four touchdown passes for the first time in his career. So that was the first thing, more of a big-picture look at Jalen Hurts. And I know that's been kind of a constant theme here on in our segments throughout the course of the season. But sure. ultimately, that's you know the biggest topic there is. Of course. Okay. 
So number two, and I think we're just going to get to the quick turnaround to Thursday night. Yep. Walked into the locker room and, you know, covered this team, you know, full time since 2004. I've never walked into the locker room and basically saw a makeshift, you know, uh, masseuse room, this therapy is post-game, room. After the game, post game, yep, after yep. the win on Sunday, yeah, you walk into the locker room at Lincoln Financial Field, and there are about eight or so exercise bikes. Players were riding those. You had massage tables, you know, typically in areas that you wouldn't see in the locker room after the game for players to get worked on. You had uh, the compression therapy. The mats were laid out on the ground in the middle of the locker room for players who wanted that. Basically. The sports performance and medicine staff said to the team, guys, you got to do one of these stations before you get out of here. We got to start the preparation now for Thursday night. And again, this goes back to Coach Sirianni nailing the bye week. Well, they used the bye week knowing that Thursday night was going to come right after this game with the Steelers. They said, okay, we're going to do our self-scouting, but we're also going to work in some time to do some advanced work on the Texans to get ahead on that front. So... I commend the job that Coach Sirian has done in terms of transitioning and being opening to change. A year ago, the Eagles had their Thursday night game. It was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think it was week six of the season, pretty early. And this coaching staff was still finding out about each other. They were still you know, integrating their new schemes, getting acclimated to the players. So Coach Sirianni, after their previous game, had a cookout, a dinner. They were eating pizza. They, were, they, were, they started the game planning process that way. They're so much further ahead than they were a year ago. These schemes are entrenched. The players understand what's being asked of them, that they can go out now and just do the job. So looking ahead to, to Thursday night, I mean, to me, you look at the Texans. It's a team that's 1-5-1. and one. The win and the tie both came in the division. You know, their top receiver, Brandon Cooks, outstanding player, he may not be a Texan a couple year, a couple hours from now. Okay. When you talk about the trade discussions, his name is frequently mentioned amongst the list. And whereas Houston arguably struggled the most this season, the run defense. King Henry, Derrick Henry gashed him last week for over 200 yards on 32 carries. You know, this run defense has allowed 186 yards per game. 186 yards per game. That is not just the worst in the in the NFL, it is the worst by a margin of 30 yards yep. per game. So to me here, it's the Eagles need to come out, take care of business, okay? Phillies fans are going to be, you know, concerned about the World Series going on at the same time due to the uh, postponement of the game the other night. You know, Eagles want to go out there, take care of their business on the road against a team that they should defeat and get to 8-0 on the season. So pretty much for me here, how's the preparation? We saw it great coming out of the bye week. Can they maintain that, that same level of execution and precision going against Houston on Thursday night? Yeah, and I think the the big thing you typically see in coaches, coaching staffs, players were often talking about this is on the short week is that you're trying to lean into what it is that you do best, and you're really kind of leaning on the basics. And so uh, for the Eagles, we know like one of the bread and butter aspects of this offense is that run game, yep. and that happens to match up pretty well uh, with the hugest weakness on this Houston Texans team. So I think when you look at uh, just leaning into what you do well, um, it also helps that the Houston Texans, and we'll talk about this uh, in the next segment as well, is that defensively they do some similar things and from a coverage standpoint as what the Eagles saw last week against Pittsburgh. So a lot of those same plays, you're going to you know change some things up. Anything you ran in the game, you're not necessarily going to run again uh, on Thursday. But uh, having some of those same concepts built in to work against those coverage schemes I think will play in their favor. So uh, typically on a short week, yeah, you're going to lean into what you know, what you do really, really well. Uh, and I think that's what we'll probably see here on Thursday night. Going against the Steelers, the concern for me with the Eagles offense versus their defense was A, the blitz, B, the playmakers they have, Cam Hayward up front, Minka Fitzpatrick on the on the back end, and the Eagles neutralized those players very effectively. Houston does not have that same level of talent. They are in a rebuilding phase. So yep. while we'll see similar schemes, it's, it's not going to be done by the same quality of personnel. So going to my third point here, so we talked about big picture Jalen Hurst. We talked about the Thursday night game. How will the Eagles overcome the short-term loss of Jordan Davis? That's one of the things that uh, you're, you're... So where's your head go? I'm interested to get your thoughts here. Okay, so I kind of just 
going through the, the basics here. He has ankle rolled up. He was playing nose tackle late in the second quarter. Uh, it was James Daniels, the right guard, came blindside to him. And then uh, while Davis was matched up on the center, Mason Cole, he was down on the ground. He was trying to get back up, but Mason Cole still had the leverage. And at some point in there, he, he rolled the ankle. So he came out of the game. The, the game plan for the Eagles, talking to the defensive players after the win, was they wanted to eliminate Najee Harris and make Kenny Pickett, the rookie, throw the ball. Put the game on, on his hands, and the Eagles did a great job getting out to the early lead on offense and you know neutralizing Najee Harris in the run game. So the length of Davis's absence is unknown. One of the topics we talked about here last week was the Eagles need to develop the depth pieces down the line for the second half of the season, get into the playoff run. Yep. We, we've seen it, in unfortunately, due to injury, and that is usually where it happens – Jack Driscoll, Sua Opeta, you know what those guys can do. So if they have to step into a key situation, you know they can execute. I'm looking at Milton Williams. I'm looking at Marlon Tulipolo, too. And you know that those guys are going to have to step up. And I thought they did a great job. They had three tackles, two sacks combined on 66 defensive snaps. Now, will we see where we've seen Jordan Davis is the five-man fronts. Is that going to be completely eliminated? That's something that John. That would shock. I don't think that that will be eliminated because they didn't. They ran those last year, and they without Jordan Davis, obviously. Uh, that would shock me if they completely got away from it. So that's one thing yep. that I want to look at here. Are we going to see even less of the five man front? Because that's something where Jordan Davis has excelled at right. this season. Now the other area, and we saw some creative stunts in games on Sunday, but the Eagles are still the lowest frequency at running stunts in games in the entire NFL. Okay, They have the fewest with 44, according to Pro Football Focus, on the season. The next lowest teams, the Rams and the Packers, have each run 60. And even in the last two weeks, you say, okay, we saw some creative things. We, you know, we saw Fletcher Cox lined up at, at end. We saw Javon Hargrave's sack come, come on a game. Hassan Reddick's uh, first quarter sack came, came on a game. They still only ran, according to PFF, seven on the day. The previous game against the Cowboys, they ran more than that. They had eight in that game. So is Jonathan Gannon going to need to be more creative? How will they work the snap counts? Because, again, you're looking down the line and saying, I need Fletcher Cox good for the stretch run. Javon Hargrave, who said he's fully recovered from that toe injury that hampered him in training camp at the beginning of the season. You want to make sure he's good for the stretch run. I'm looking to see how does Jonathan Gannon distribute the snaps, A, and B, will he be more creative to free up the guys to be able to put pressure on Davis Mills and company and Damian Pierce at, in, at running back uh, early and often in this matchup? Yeah, I'll be fascinated just to see. And I think we're going to get a, a sense of that. We talked about it earlier this week with Greg, is that uh, the Texans play a lot of base personnel, using a fullback, multiple tight ends. That's typically when you'll see the Eagles in those five-man fronts, uh, whether it's nickel personnel or in, in their base personnel. Um, so I, I think that we're going to get a sense of how they're going to react to this loss uh, pretty quickly here in this game on Thursday night. Uh, now, is it going to be, hey, just insert Marlon Tuipilotu into that spot? Is it going to be, hey, Javon Hargrave's going to slide into that spot, and now you replace Hargrave's role in that in that uh, front with you know Milton Williams or BG? Uh, is that something that we see? It's going to be fascinating. Do they just run a little bit less of it? Um, I guess I, I, we're going to find – like I said, yeah. I think we're, we're going to find out early on in this game um, against the Texans team that needs to be able to run the football with Damian Pierce. Sure, and it, that gets to your point. You talked about the options if you do utilize the five-man look, and it's like, okay, well, BG can go inside. Again, you're adding snaps to some of these veteran guys who you want to keep fresh for the long run. So, obviously, you've got to execute. Obviously, you want to keep this in your playbook, and you don't want to become predictable – it's how do they go about it. I know Coach Sirianni talked about Marvin Wilson, who is currently on the practice squad, and he flashed in training camp yep. and you know made some tough decisions there at the final roster cutdown. They can obvious, obviously elevate him for a couple of weeks here if they need to to fill that, that spot. But nonetheless, though, that's going to be one of the interesting things. The Eagles have been, knock on whatever, very lucky from the injury standpoint for the most point, it's going to be now you lose a key piece here in Jordan Davis, who his his snap usage had been you know pretty consistent. He was in like the mid twenties. I think he was right around twenty two and a half snaps 
per game in, in the first seven weeks of the season, first six games, he already had 19 snaps yep. when he got injured on Sunday. So obviously, you know, going against a run-heavy Steelers team, they were looking to utilize him more. But you just wonder if he was just finally starting to break that ceiling a little bit of, you know, getting the coaches' trust to be able to be on the field even more, more yeah. so. Uh, unfortunate, obviously, and, and hope that uh, he's able to come back fast and, and pick up right where he left off. Uh, the other thing that occurred to me just as we were talking about it too is that those snaps with him at nose tackle uh, might get split between Hargrave and Tweep. It might not be one or the other. If you go into their base where, again, it's three linebackers on the field and that with that five-man front, maybe that's where it's Tui Pelotu. And then if it's the, the nickel front where they want a little bit more pass rush juice, that's where it then becomes Hargrave. Uh, and again, Because, again, it's like we were talking about with Greg earlier this week. All of those packages have different. Uh, all of those packages have different depth charts, and so it's not just you know one size fits all. Oh, this is our, this is their five man front. Or the, the insert DT three. No, that, that's not how uh, that works in that scenario. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, I think it'll be uh, it'll be a mixed bag. It'll be interesting to see. It will. Hargrave was so good on Sunday. Oh, uh, he was one of the best the players on the field. Yeah, just against so his former amazing. team, uh, he showed up in a big, big way. I thought the, the defensive line as a whole um, played with so much intensity. There are a bunch of high motor plays from these guys. You know, you watch them against the run. I thought they were so, so stout. A change the line of scrimmage. They won the battle against that Pittsburgh O-line, and I think they're going to try and do that same thing here against Houston's front. Well, C-Mac, we will have plenty to talk about here uh, as we get into next week. Thanks for joining us once again here for 3 and Out. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, so good stuff there from C-Mac as we welcome in Ben Fennell for some Chalk Talk. And Ben, uh, let's talk through Eagles game plan this week. A little inside baseball behind the scenes here. When you've got a Thursday night game, in order to get a show around that usually get produced for Friday, you've got to do a lot of those assets and the end of the week prior. So we've been looking at the Texans now for a couple of weeks. This show mostly in the can by the time we got uh, to Monday morning, but uh, a lot to talk about here with this Houston Texans team. But before we get to the matchup, Ben, we haven't talked to you about the uh, the Robert Quinn addition to this Eagles defensive line. You've, you've gone through a lot of his tape. Obviously, we've watched him over the course of his career. He was here in Dallas in the NFC East for a couple of years. Um, so we've seen uh, what he can bring to the table. But just your thoughts on the addition to the rotation for Quinn. Well, I like adding more depth uh, to the defensive line room. And I think uh, Jonathan Gannon likes to roll seven, eight, nine deep across that front. And anytime you can add high-level players into that rotation, just makes your group that much more dangerous, that much more threatening and that much fresher uh, throughout the course of games in the season. And I think finding multiple bodies outside of your starting front is kind of the name of the game in the NFL in generating those second half and late in games, uh, you know, getting after quarterbacks. So I like seeing Robert Quinn mixed in with the addition of Hassan Reddick from the summer, still BG and Josh Sweat and the other defensive ends out there. So anytime you can add a litany of ways to get after the quarterback, that's an exciting proposition. And a guy like Robert Quinn's proven himself. He's a veteran. You know exactly what you're getting. Now let's just see how do you tap into the best of uh, what he has left. Yeah, and the Eagles have already had their bye week, obviously, but and the, the acquisition happened after the bye. But one of my thoughts was, oh, like, I wonder if they're going to start, start incorporating more stunts in games because Quinn has been so lethal with those over the course of his career. So seeing them, uh, the, Quinn wasn't necessarily involved in them this week, but seeing them incorporate more of those into the, uh, into the rush scheme uh, on Sunday against Pittsburgh was a good sign for that. Yeah, and I imagine his role, his usage, his versatility will continue to grow. I think he fits a little bit more of the Hassan Reddick role, where he can move around, maybe do some of even the uh, stand-up roles, like we saw last week. Hassan Reddick standing up over the guard in the B gaps. I think you know uh, Robert Quinn can do things like that. Also, a guy with a great first step, primarily a high side rusher, but those guys are also very fleet of foot on those stunts and games as well. So I think moving them post-snap uh, to use that first snap and the flexibility and you know his bend that we've seen for 10 years now in the NFL is still there. So Robert Quinn mixed in with you know the Milton Williams and Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargraves and you know TJ Edwards is leading linebackers with pressures right now, off-ball linebackers. Having a litany of ways to get after the opposing quarterback, that's exciting. Uh, so just to kind of find focusing here on the the matchup, the Eagles defense against the Texans offense. We, we talked a lot about the Eagles secondary uh, in this show. Uh, Greg actually referenced them uh, earlier this week on here on the podcast. Ike said the same thing in this episode was that 
you know, this might be the best secondary in football, the way they're playing. So uh, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts just on this group. I mean, we've been watching them every week, and it's just been a really fun experience. It's been outstanding, and I just keep harping on the, you know, the continuity and the communication by all these new guys, especially guys that play next to each other, whether it's James Bradbury and then the Will linebackers, Kaiser White, and then behind them is Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, you know, guys that just joined this team. Just great to see the communication and them all play together on strings out there in that defense. New players, you know, just gelling and meshing, you know, right away. It's just exciting to see. And then the Hassan Reddicks of the world, adding Robert Quinns. To see all these new bodies just seamlessly fit into this scheme, to see the playbook grow, to see more pressure calls, more exotic calls. This defensive playbook has just grown and grown and grown with new players. It's just really exciting. It's fun to watch. It seems like they're threatening and productive at nearly every level, certainly starting with the defensive backs. And I think what the corners have brought and Darius Slay and James Bradbury really started all, and it's a trickle effect from them. And they're going to have to deal with uh, Davis Mills uh, here this week, a guy that I know has caught your eye when we've studied the Texans on tape. Yeah, he's flashed some nice things. He's a good-looking quarterback. He's 6'5", 230. His best stuff, he looks like prime Matt Ryan out there. You know, a lot of things off play action, plays on time, great rhythm, uh, a lot of stuff off play action, middle of the field. He'll hang in under pressure. He'll show that 6'4", 6'5", frame, you know, like he did two weeks ago, completing throws right with Max Crosby bearing down on him. He's a big kid. He's going to hang in there. He's tough. Uh, And he protects the ball particularly well, too. They only have seven offensive turnovers this year. That's the fourth fewest in the NFL. They're not going to hurt themselves. Now, do they have enough talent to, you know, hang, uh, you know, 30 points on opponents? Do they have enough dogs up front to keep Davis Mills upright? Does Damian Pierce have enough to kind of carry that offense in the run game? Those are all kind of questions. But Davis Mills every week flashes some ability, flashes some wow, you know, there's something to be excited about there. But he needs to be a more consistent player within that. He flashes it, but it's not consistent. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's 31st out of 35 quarterbacks on third down as far as QB rating. He's 28th out of 35 in the red zone. Just not consistent enough on those money downs. And that's really what you get from this Texans team collectively. A lot of flashes, just not enough consistency. Uh, just sticking with the Texans going into this matchup, we focused in on their cover two scheme defensively. Obviously, Lovey Smith coming from mm. Tony Dungy and the Tampa two and everywhere he's been, Chicago, University of Illinois, uh, and now with the Houston Texans, he has instituted this cover two scheme. I don't want to like make sure make it seem like that's all they run. Obviously, they mix their coverages up, but they do run more cover two than anybody. And so I thought, you know, what, let's kind of take a step back. What does that mean? What does that mean for the Eagles going into this game? What are the pros and cons for a team that runs a lot of cover two? Uh, so take us through. What, what do you kind of view that scheme as looking like? Yeah, they use the most cover two in the NFL. So it's worth talking about, but it's actually not their highest coverage usage. Right. Uh, they use a lot more cover three. Only 10 snaps of cover two last week against the Titans. Titans not pushing the ball down the field. Derrick Henry, Henry yep. you typically want to be single high, plus one in the box. But cover two, zone defense, too deep, protects deep, eyes on the quarterback, but you're playing with even box numbers. So you're kind of uh, out leveraged as far as defending the run. Typically, you're out gapped against 12 personnel because you want to play too deep. Typically, you're out leveraged against three by one sets because you want to play too deep. And if there's three receivers on one side, you don't have enough horses out there. So there's a lot of pros and cons to the scheme. But collectively, it's a safe defense. It's a keeping in front defense. Let's try to die by a million paper cuts and force an offense to go 10, 12 plays down the field. And hopefully we can be opportunistic or they make a mistake within that. So I think that's the essence of the cover, too. Let's keep it in front and kind of slow down offenses. Well, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. As you mentioned, uh, you know, you don't want to play a ton of cover, too, when a team likes to run the football because you've got uh, a little bit of a lighter box. We saw that this past week. They responded with. Derrick Henry. Mike Quick talked about that in the episode of the Eagles game plan this week was, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, there are things you do in the past game, but run the ball. That's a good, it's a good answer, especially against this defense. Yeah, anytime you see those two safeties sitting back, you're going to have a numbers advantage. But some of the other advantages of cover two in the past game, it really muddies the middle of the field. Yep. It's really tough to work the seams. It's tough to hit routes over the middle, intermediate part of the field, as you typically have a Mike linebacker or a Tampa 2 guy dropping in that deep hole. So they've actually been pretty stingy over the middle of the field and allowing some big plays. So this may not be a crossing route game. This may not be a deep post kind of game. You want to attack the outsides. But like you said, 
run, run, run is typically the truth serum to cover too. And underneath stuff's okay too. I was going to say, what are the soft spots? Two deep safeties, screen game, underneath yep. things. So I expect some running back screens this week, but the run game will be the essence of uh, you know attacking the cover too. But remember, last week, single high against that Titans running attack. I expect them to roll a safety down quite often. It's the month of November now, so I would be remiss if I didn't say the turkey hole. Uh, right. Tethering that, that, <clears> that <throat> gap between the corner and the safety along the sideline, uh, that is uh, certainly one of the soft spots. But as you mentioned, all the other stuff underneath, uh, definitely open season for the Eagles offense in this game. Uh, you pulled a lot of numbers. Is there a, a one metric or two that stands out most to you? Going yeah, and really quick, one? some other areas I thought the Eagles could maybe attack. There are some young players on that defense. Yep. You know, young Christian Harris got his first start. Sure. Exciting linebacker at Alabama. But this Eagles offense throws a lot at you, a lot of eye candy, a lot of big boy snaps, you know, having to defend the run. So, you know, just attacking a rookie like that. Jalen Petrie plays that kind of safety nickel hybrid role. He's down in the box and the fire quite a bit as well. So just you got a lot of young players. Unfortunately, the free safety, Jonathan Owens, seemed to struggle as that last line of defense last week against the Titans. Could have been some eight, nine-yard runs. He misses the tackle. It's a 20-plus-yard run. So that free safety ability to tackle on the back end just hasn't been consistent enough. But, you know, rolling over to some stats here, really interesting. These are actually the two teams defensively, the Texans and the Eagles. 30th and 32nd in explosive run rate allowed. Mm. So two teams that are not stopping the run particularly well. But when you dive into that, the Eagles are typically happening in the second half. Yeah. Why is that? Big leads, typically playing too deep, playing against the pass, a little more vulnerable against the run. A couple other things really interesting with that. Texans, minus 655 yards, first quarter run differential. Minus 655. The Texans are getting torched on the ground in the first quarter. So that's exactly what I'm speaking to about these explosive runs allowed. Typically, the Texans are allowing them right out the gate. Eagles allowing them in the second half when they're playing against the pass. They're playing a little softer. So a little context within that is really important. Some other fun uh, usages and notes here. Eagles, plus 46 points off turnover differential. Yep, big stat. Plus 46 points off turnover differential. So it's not just getting those turnovers. Getting points off turnovers is important. And if you do occasionally turn the ball over offensively, it's making sure that it doesn't hurt you and them turning those into points. So I like that the Eagles are plus 14 in turnover differential, Mm. but being plus 46 in points off turnovers, I think is that much more important. Last thing, Eagles, once again, second year running, 32nd in motion. Yep. And that's okay. The first, second, third teams, exciting offenses. Chiefs, Dolphins, Niners. 32nd, the Eagles. Different ways to skin the cat. You know, Eagles sitting here, the only undefeated team. 32nd usage in shift in motion. It is not a, uh, you know, a cure-all to degenerate, you know, exciting offense. There's pros and cons, and it's fun to see exciting offenses and quality teams on both ends of the spectrum. Ben, last thing, uh, just a matchup that matters. What's a one-on-one battle that you're going to be focused in on for Thursday night? Well, I think it's going to be attacking those rookies in the Texans' defense. I mentioned Jalen Petrie out of Baylor, Christian Harris out of Alabama, and them up against Shane Steichen. You know, so whether it's the RPOs and the misdirections and a lot of eye candy as far as the quarterback run, holding backside defenders, to having Jalen Hurts out there is just such a – such an exciting chip into the run game and just put on the tape last week on how many backside defenders are controlled just with the the illusion of Jalen Hurts. It's not even a run fake. He's just out there. It's literally just capturing defenders' eyes and really taking them away from the main action of play. So I really feel for rookies out there. I feel for veterans out there. But to see Jalen Petrie and uh, you know Christian Harris out there having to defend this Eagles offense, Good luck out there. Well, thematic, because uh, I, I actually am going to be penciling in uh, the rookie on the other side, their first, their second first-round pick, Kenyon Green, has had some struggles against some of the better defensive tackles he's faced, uh, Jeffrey Simmons. Yep. Uh, Greg talked about that. It was a little bit of a welcome to the NFL moment for Kenyon Green. Oh, Hargrave, Javon Hargrave mm-hmm. is going to see uh, plenty of Kenyon Green as well, and that's a matchup I'll be watching here. Uh, how does Kenyon Green bounce back uh, after that matchup with Jeffrey Simmons? That'll be a, a good battle to watch. Yeah, and they have Larry Tunsil at left tackle there. They all flash some exciting play up on that offense offensive line, but it's a learn-on-the-job type of position out there, offensive line. So I think Kenyon Green's going to get a couple good reps. He's probably going to take a couple reps as well against a veteran, Javon Hargrave, who is as good as it gets in the interior of the NFL.
Well, Ben, outstanding stuff. We'll be back next week here to talk through this matchup uh, on Chalk Talk. And obviously, everybody go check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. Ben and I will get you ready for week number 10 in college football. Ben, we will talk to you next week. It's time now to catch up with John Harris and Faux Focus. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in Faux Focus. All right, well, again, joining us here for Faux Focus is a guy that I've got a ton of respect for. That's John Harris. You can follow him on Twitter, at jharrisfootball. Does a great job with the uh, the Houston Texans down there, houstontexans.com, football analyst, sideline analyst, does it all. Uh, John, thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Fran, I absolutely love being on with you, brother. It's great to hear from you. Uh, the thoughts are very similar going the other direction, too, man. You do tremendous work, and uh, I'm glad you had me on. Honestly, uh, l- let me be honest. I love talking to you. I just, unfortunately, at this point, I just wish we were bringing a little bit more to the party on Thursday night uh, than we're actually bringing, uh, or actually you're visiting our party, which uh, is going to be like popcorn and, uh, and soda water as opposed to the, the, the eight, you know, eight-tiered buffet you could probably have in Houston <laughs> at some point with this team the way it's playing. Well, look, as, as we sit here on Tuesday afternoon, the uh, you know Philly and, and Houston are kind of the center of uh, the sports world right now uh, <laughs> with everything we've got going on between the diamond and the gridiron. But uh, let me get to the first question here, John, and that's uh, I'm going to ask you to put on your Pep Hamilton hat. You are the Houston Texans offensive coordinator. What is the biggest strength for this unit going into this game against the Eagles? What, what gives you the most confidence in your ability to win this game? Well, I think having Damian Pierce on our side, and that's not something we've been able to say for a number of years. We've not had a running back with this sort of dynamic ability. Um, And, you know, he only had 35 yards against the Tennessee Titans, but he has been the, he's been the offense. Um, He has been incredible. His contact balance is just tremendous. I mean, the other day there was a run that was called, he was a screen that was called back. And I'm telling you, he got hit by about five or six different defenders. And it was the first time that he had one of those runs at NRG stadiums. We've been on the road for a ton of the season already. Mm. And so he had one of those against Jacksonville and the sideline went crazy. Well, this run NRG stadium just went nuts. Every tackle he's breaking and they got called back for a kind of bogus block in the back, but I digress. Damian Pierce is what gives us an opportunity, but against Tennessee, we couldn't run it between the tackles. It had to, it had to be out wide. Uh, and I think that's that's the thing that Pep Hamilton's going to have to do. How do I get 31 the ball where he's not messing around with Fletcher Cox and everybody on the inside against the Eagles? That, I think, is going to be his challenge. But Damian Pierce gives us a chance. I would say Nico Collins gives us a chance also, but Nico injured his groin at Las Vegas. He missed this last week against Tennessee, and I don't see him making it back 11 days after he hurt that groin. So he would be the other guy, I would say. If there's good news up front, it's that Larry Tunsil has faced Robert Quinn yep. week three and really did a good job against him. Now, I would imagine Quinn will probably want to get a little bit of revenge and he'll be fresher because he won't have to play every snap. But our two tackles can do a pretty solid job out on the edge when the lights are the brightest. When the lights are the brightest, those two want to show up, Larry Tunsil, Titus Howard, and play well. Uh, and they have that capability. So what I worry about is, and this is what Pep's going to have to handle as the interior. Uh, Kenny Green, the rookie, has done well. Center and guard on the other side, not as well. Hopefully, we'll get A.J. Cam back, who missed last week being sick. So, hopefully, we can get him back because we absolutely need him. I never thought I would say that about A.J. Cam. But Damian Pierce gives us an opportunity. But the guys up front have got to control the Eagles front. That's going to be really difficult. Uh, the Eagles have had some issues uh, with some missed tackles at times throughout the, throughout the course of this season. That, that cannot be the case against Damian Pierce because he, he forces those missed yep. tackles uh, as well as anybody. So you don't want to give him any extra chances than the ones he's going to earn for himself, yeah. right? So uh, yeah. I think that's going to be a huge key for this Eagles defense. Um, when you look at, you talk about the offensive line, and we know Laramie Tunsil, one of the best in the league, certainly when you talk through pass protection, uh, locking down that left side. I know that it's been kind of a, like a, a roller coaster with with Titus Howard, a former first round pick, um, you know, out of Alabama State, if I remember right. He's played some guard, he's played some tackle. I know you said that he tends to shine uh, when the lights are, are shining brightest. But what have you seen from him uh, this year? How, how, what's the confidence level in Titus Howard at right at right tackle? Well, that's exactly it, uh, Fran. I think that Titus really enjoys the lights being on, um, and there are times when I don't want to say he gets bored, but there are just things that he doesn't seem to do as well that aren't as sexy. Um, and that's the thing to me that 
you know, people have asked me, are they going to give him a long-term contract? And I hold back and I say, you know, there's a consistency factor there. Last year when he had been playing guard and then they moved him out to left tackle. And I can't remember what game it was against. Maybe it was the Chargers. Now the Chargers didn't have Bosa or at that point, Khalil Mack because of COVID, but Titus is out there and he's playing his best game all year at left tackle. And he's been playing guard. So he's got the potential to play any, any single spot, yep. but it's just too up and down. Uh, and I think that is what really creates kind of concern about Titus going forward because there are times you really see it. You see a yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're like, wait a second, what's he doing? How did he let that guy just, you know, chop swipe and go by him? And it's like, yep. come on, Titus, you're better than that. But there are also times where you see Laramie and Titus out against Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, and neither one of them are sniffing the quarterback. So they have that in them, in particular, Titus. Now, we see it with Laramie, especially in pass protection. Laramie's not the best run blocker in the world. Yeah. But Titus could be very good. But it's just not all the way there yet. But if those two guys are on their A game, we've got an opportunity to run the football. we got an opportunity to give Davis Mills time to throw. Um, but it's that interior that worries me. Uh, against Fletcher Cox and the guys inside. Uh, let me do, do a quick temperature check uh, on Davis Mills, uh, the second-year quarterback. We talked about him earlier this week with Greg Cosell. Uh, both guys, I mean, he's shown flashes, uh, certainly, on film. I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts being in the building with Davis. Yeah, it's that. It's flashes. Um, and there was this thought last year at the end of the year, last four or five games, he threw nine touchdowns, two interceptions. He had a great game against the Chargers. He was over 130 quarterback rating. He had a great game in the second half against Tennessee where we were down 21 nothing, He brought us back, and we almost went one that game because of Davis Mills, and that was without Brandon Cooks. But this year, it feels like we've been stuck in neutral, and there are moments that are good, and then there are moments that it can happen in the same game, and then it can happen week to week. For example, we go out to Las Vegas, and he plays his best game all year. It's coming out of the bye, and we think that's it. Yeah. That's the Davis Mills we need to see. And then this week against the Titans, he threw an interception early, and the interception really wasn't his fault. Our two tight ends ran into each other as the Titans were playing man. So they were trying to, to pick off the DB and they picked each other off. And now he's slow to get to the slant. DB beats them there. DB picks off Davis. And whenever Davis has trouble early in the game, he throws an interception at Buffalo. It was rainy. He dropped the ball out of his hand. He struggles. But if he gets going early, that is when this offense, and I mean, not everything is predicated off one drive, but whenever he has a good first drive, you can count on him having a pretty solid day. So hopefully he bounces back. But um, it's interesting you said temperature check because I think that as soon as you said that, I was like lukewarm. Mm. He's, it's lukewarm. There are times where you see hot, and then there are times where it's ice cold, and it's just been there's too much of that. Um, there's not been that growth that you guys saw with Jalen Hurts where Jalen was just ascending. You know, there's this nice, beautiful, positive slope. We've seen with Davis, like Wall Street, just, you know, up and, you know, up and down, up and down all over the place. So we've got to see that level off um, or the Texans are going to be ha have to look for a quarterback for 2023. Well, Lovey Smith, uh, the head coach of the Houston Texans, one of the few head coaches, maybe one of the only head coaches I can think of, actually, uh, that is uh, has a head coach and coordinator title in the NFL. He's also the defensive coordinator. So I will ask you to put on your Lovey Smith hat uh, from a defensive standpoint. What is the biggest strength on that side of the football? What gives you confidence in your ability to win this game on Thursday night? Well, I think the secondary gives them a chance. Yeah. Um, because Derek Stingley, with the number three overall pick, he was coming off of two years really of not playing. Uh, I think he has progressed very, very well. I do think that he's probably better in man than he is in zone, but he's got really good football instincts. Um, and that's what led him to his only interception against Trevor Lawrence. Jalen Petrie at safety uh, is out of Baylor is just tremendous. I mean, he, he's probably the best defensive player already for this Texans team. Um, and Steven Nelson has played well. I know people in Philadelphia are probably like, ah, I don't know about that, but yeah, he actually has played pretty well for this team. So, they, the secondary is, is solid. Now, yeah. they have not faced A.J. Brown, and we've seen A.J. Brown. We've seen A.J. Brown a lot. And you would think, having seen A.J. Brown the last how many ever years, that, oh, we've got experience. No, these guys are all new back there, so they've not faced A.J. Brown. So yep. that's going to be a challenge. Uh, linebackers can run, but it's not, it's not gone well for them. Up front, there's experience at defensive end, but what there's not at defensive end is really violent football behavior. And that's really cost us in the run game. And it really hurt us against uh, Derrick Henry. And what worries me the most is the ability of Jalen to pull it out and run it 
that puts our defense in decision mode. And that's not a place that it really needs to be. Secondary has grown up and is going to get better and better and better. But the front seven has got to take some strides and they got to do it four days after they got absolutely shellacked by Derrick Henry and the Titans. And that I think is going to be a big matzo ball to take down. So that secondary has got to keep a minute, maybe picking pass off Jalen throws inadvertently. Maybe Jalen starts, you know, pressing because he's playing back home. Any and all of that will take, but if Philadelphia just sticks to their script, then our secondary is going to be in for a big fight anyways against A.J. Brown. They got to hope that they come up with a few plays and force Jalen have to throw it, and now the secondary can give them an opportunity at that point. Well, staying with Lovey Smith, and this could be on either side of the football, John, what's the biggest concern for this team going into the game? If you're Lovey, uh, what do you most worry about going in this matchup? I think it's got to be Davis and his production offensively because down deep, I think Lovey knows, look, we're not – we're not constructed right now to be able to stop this Eagles offense. And by the way, there are 30 other teams in the league that aren't constructed to stop the Eagles offense as it is. So he knows what he's up against. So at that point, okay, can you make it a shootout? Can you turn it into, uh, what was it against the Lions with 38-35, I think, at the beginning sure, of the yep. year? Can you turn it into a shootout? And that would end up having to be on the shoulders of Davis Mills and the offense. That also probably would mean that Damian Pierce is not as much involved in the game, you would think, um, but you can still get him involved in the passing game. He's got great hands, and he can do some big stuff out of the backfield. But, you know, like we said, taping on Tuesdays. Brandon Cook's still a member of this team by Tuesday. What about Nico Collins? He's come back. If you got Nico and, and Brandon, yeah, you got an opportunity to maybe turn it into a little bit of a shootout, but how long can you stay in it? So, to me, the offense has got to keep this team in the game long enough to maybe force Philadelphia to go, wait a second, this team is one, five and one. We should be hammering this team and maybe a little stress sets in pressing a little bit. You got to kind of hope that. So it's going to sound kind of strange, but as far as the Texans are concerned, there is absolutely zero pressure in this game on them. So go play, just go play, go play and let it hang out. Let the pressure be on the seven and O team to have to beat one of the lower teams in the league on national TV. And the longer it stays a game, the more stress and pressure that puts on Sirianni and company. And that's what we got to hope for uh, in this one against Philly. When you paint that picture, John, is there like a, a specific one-on-one -on -one matchup that comes to your mind that could kind of like tilt the tides either way or in Houston's favor uh, when you get to Thursday night? You know, it's funny. I was watching Philadelphia early. Uh, I think it was the Monday night game against Minnesota. And I'm just, as I'm watching, I'm like, man, every single unit on the field is good. And I'm talking not 10 minutes after that. Uh, I can't remember who's doing the game said that same thing. Every single unit, for the Eagles is exceptional. And I don't know that we have an advantage, like a one-on-one -on -one matchup that I feel like we got, you know, we've got over the Eagles in, in any sense. I do feel like Damian Pierce against the Eagles linebackers is the one, if I had to go bet on that one, I'd go bet on. And I don't love it, but if that's the one I had to go bet on, I would do it just because I do believe in Damian being that guy. And with lights on, we're wearing the battle red helmets for the first time. There'll be some emotion, even though the, the Phillies and Astros will be playing that night. There will be some, uh, some emotion in that building playing on Thursday night. We've talked to the guys. They know, hey, it's a Thursday night game, and it's the Eagles. It's the number one team in the league. So Damian Pierce is the type of guy that can kind of thrive off of that emotion and that intensity uh, and that excitement. And hopefully he's the guy that gives us that shot uh, against the Eagles linebackers. And it might have to be in the passing game, and I'd be okay with that. He's not as dynamic in the passing game as he is running the football. Uh, but he is really fun to watch running the football, especially you give him a little bit of space. He blocks his own guys. If yeah. we don't block him, he blocks him. Uh, and that's probably the best thing that Damien has done this year, uh, that it allowed the offensive line to kind of find some cohesion a little bit with their set five lineup. He's blocked some of those guys they haven't blocked. Uh, and that's given us a chance in some games that we probably didn't have a chance in uh, prior to this winning against Philly. Yeah, there was, a, there was a stat I saw going into last week, John. It was like the, the Texans were second in rushing yards after contact per attempt, yep. and they were 32nd in yards before contact per attempt. Yep. So uh, just speaking to um, some of the struggles the interiors had, but then also speaking to uh, to Damian and, and his strengths as a runner, this conversation coming full circle as we started talking about uh, Pierce and what he can bring to the table. John, thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for Faux Focus. Uh, I won't see you on Thursday night, but uh, have a great show, and we will uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my man. Absolutely, Fran. Wish you were here, man. It'd be great to catch up with you. We'll catch up soon, my man. Thank you. 
So great stuff there from John. Uh, excellent stuff, as always. And we talked earlier in the show with Ben about uh, our episode of Eagles Game Plan this week. And so I left a little bit from the uh, the cutting room floor here for you guys here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Some analysis from John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell, that due to co- time constraints, we couldn't squeeze into the show, but I kept it for you right here. Rookie Damian Pierce came out of the University of Florida, and he was a fourth-round pick. On a lot of draft boards, he was not particularly high. But when you watched his tape, you saw a tough physical runner. He earned his yards, and that's an important trait to have, particularly in the NFL, where it's a lot tougher and you have to work more in confined space than you do in the college game. And that has really showed up with the Texans in his rookie season. But what you see is the ability to find the hole, work in confined space, an absolutely critical trait. Then you see the contact balance. He is running through tackles, the strong finishing traits. He is very hard to bring down. Those are hard-earned yards. That is the way Damian Pierce runs. That is NFL running. He is the classic back that when it's blocked for three or four, he gets nine or ten and maybe more. He is a classic sustainer. He's a grinder. And that can be a deciding and determining feature in the offense for the Texans. And I'll tell you what, Jonathan Gannon has a lot of variety with that group. And you could say the Eagles are arguably the best blitzing team in the NFL, very well-timed. What are you seeing from those blitzes this year, especially in the second year with Gannon? I'll tell you what, they're timely blitzes, right? So, you know, you can either be one of these teams that an offense can almost anticipate you sending extra guys. So they're prepared when you send blitzes. What I love that J.G. is doing this year is that he's blitzing when it's an opportune time for the Eagles, not when the offense is expected. It. It's when they're least expecting it. These guys have done a great job of not tipping the blitzes, and when they get their number called, they're getting to the quarterback. I love the fact that they have all the blitzes that you need, and they call them when they need them. Not You don't just blitz just to blitz. Just for the sake of doing it, You yeah. blitz when it's the time to blitz, and I think that that's what we're seeing out of this defense. And I'll tell you what, the Texans, they're going to be bringing something. How about a fullback? Oh, a yeah. fullback and multiple tight ends. So what do you expect to see from that Eagles front? Well, they're going to attack. You know, this is what you have to do against a football team. Like, they can run the ball well. And when their young quarterback is throwing the ball, he throws it really well. So you have to attack him. You have to keep him off balance. You have to keep him off pace. And how special do you think this is going to be for Jalen Hurts going home for the first time in the NFL? I think it's going to be extra special. You always want to show out. When I went back to Cincinnati, I wanted to show out. You always want to, when you go back home, you're going to have extra fans there. You're going to have family members there. And so you want to make sure that they see the growth that you've made. And how cool is it because he was coached by his dad growing up. His dad's going to be there, his mom and his family making his father proud. One piece of advice, put a limit on the tickets request. <laughs> you got to tell the family members, yeah, yeah, pay for your own tickets. Especially on a short week, that's, <laughs> that's a lot right. to think about. Yeah. And be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally this week, obviously with Thursday Night Football a day early, so it'll go up uh, on Wednesday, actually, across all Eagles channels. Or if you live in the Philadelphia area, special time, Thursday night, 7 p.m. on NBC10. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan crew. Thanks to them and thanks to all of you for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week. Eagles fans, the midterm election is right around the corner. Now is the time to create your game plan to vote on November 8th. Text EAGLES to 26797 to register to vote and check your voter registration status. This year, voters will have the chance to elect officials to the U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, and many local and state positions. You can vote in person, by mail, or at a secure ballot drop box. If you are registered to vote in Philadelphia County, you can drop off your ballot at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday, November 6th from 10 a.m to 2 p.m. Our democracy is only as strong as our commitment to participate in it. Go birds and go vote.